Hello everyone and welcome to the next edition to the iFloat radio podcast. This is David and I'm here with Denise Johnson who is an avid iFloater and also an iFloat volunteer and she's going to be talking about a number of different things today. Denise, thank you for being on the iFloat radio podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to one of our sponsors, which is FlotationLocations.com. FlotationLocations.com is the leading resource for where you can find the different flotation locations throughout the country and also throughout the world. And they have a number of different resources. So definitely visit FlotationLocations.com to learn more about floating and learn more about where you can float. Uh, they're great people and we're really thankful to have them as a support. So again, check out flotationlocations.com. So Denise, let's get started. How did you first hear about iFlow? When did you first come to iFlow? Well, believe it or not, a woman named Jody Eisman, who I'd done some acupuncture with, invited me to a holistic happy hour that you have here every couple of months. And I think for probably close to a year, I was coming to the holistic happy hours and um, here at iFloat. And I always wanted to float and it was just the volunteer program that you set up really helped me to be able to start floating and I started floating back in November um, of 2013. It's been about four months and it's been amazing. The Holistic Happy Hour is a really great event and I like it because it does create this access point for people to come to iFloat and just get a sense of what iFloat is about and also to allow other wellness practitioners to create that bridge for for the people that they know so that they can come and we're going to be having the next one this upcoming week and people it's amazing people really love the holistic happy hour oh it's so much fun and it's like great networking and people get to like you know network bring their cards um try different modalities of healing and great have food. some wine you have some wine <laughs> some beer <laughs> and see the i float chambers and see people floating and um, get to experience that and you know hopefully sign up so the in the volunteer program for those people listening is a great opportunity because sometimes I do get emails from people who just aren't in a position yet where they can spend the money on it but it's a great chance for people to be part of the iFloat community contribute to iFloat by mostly cleaning because that's what running a float center is generally about <laughs> there's a lot of cleaning as I've learned when, yes. <laughs> running a float center but it's a great opportunity to be part of the community and to give something to iFloat and in return get the float sessions. Yes. And with that being said, what has it been like? What has the, the different float experiences been like for you? Well, every experience is different, but it definitely since November, I feel, I mean, I've always been kind of like, I'm in a high stress kind of uh, profession and things that I've been doing and juggling. So I'm an actress, I'm a singer, a songwriter. So there's a lot of a lot of different pressures and a lot of different things and doing you know different jobs and things like that. <clears throat> but I feel a profound sense of calm since I've started floating. Um, less stressed and um, just more uh, less reactive and just kind of more focused. Um, I just it's it's different every time, but um, I just feel that that's the most 
that's like the, the central theme for me that's been happening since I've been floating is I've been accumulating float time. Today you said that today was a really good float, I think, is something a lot Yeah, like sometimes, well, with the time, sometimes I'm aware of like the time going by and a lot of, and when it's a really good float, it's like, it's like the time goes by like shh, so fast and it went by really quickly for me, um, which is good, I, but I wasn't really aware of the time. I just felt like I was in the zone and it was good and I sometimes see lights when I float, uh, like lights and it's completely dark, but um I just, I just get in, just feel like I'm in a zone and I want to stay there for forever. <laughs> you so. did talk earlier about this light show that you often experience when you're floating. Talk a little bit about that. I'm curious. Um, it takes usually about a half an hour for me to quiet my mind a bit. And then after a while, I just kind of, whether my eyes are open or closed, or I start seeing like pieces of light, like different colored lights, like white light, blue light different colors and it's just like wow you know it just kind of it's kind of amazing to me because you're in complete darkness and you don't expect to see that so it is interesting when people have that experience and people sometimes see lights and sometimes they see faces and images that seem very real one of the things that i often talk to people about is the idea of projection which i may have spoken about before in podcasts Mm -hmm. In the program theory class that's currently happening at iFlow, where we're discussing the theory of John Lilly's metaprogramming concepts, which mm-hmm. come out of his book, Programming and Metaprogramming in the Human Biocomputer, he talks about how people will project things out into, into reality. And one of the things that John Lilly used to do that I was writing about recently is he would in a course or class that he was teaching, he would play this repeating word, which is called cogitate, and he would put it on for about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was a rep- repetition of the word cogitate, 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 cogitate. And after about five minutes or 10 minutes, what starts to happen in a very strong way is everybody starts to hear different words. They impose or create different words out into the external reality even though the same word is coming at them because it's the same word the mind gets bored and it starts to invent it starts to project words and Mm -hmm. i think in a group of about 200 people after they listened to the repetition of cogitate for about 20 minutes there were something on the order of somewhere between two to five thousand different words that they heard some of which were completely made up but when they collected it all and people wrote down the different things that they heard, it was somewhere around two to 5,000 different words. And it's a great example of how you get 200 people in a room and they are projecting lots of different things onto the, the external reality, even though they're all experiencing the same thing. Mm. And when it comes with colors and when it comes to visions, it's in the float tank. It's very similar because the float tank is a controlled environment where where a person isn't experiencing much of anything so that so it's a great opportunity for a person to see what it is that they do project out into reality visuals or or colors are an example of that but sometimes people are also projecting like frustration or Mm -hmm. blame or or other things in in their float experience and that's always a really interesting thing to look at and sometimes again the colors can be meaningful to people or Mm -hmm. sometimes they're just colors but it does point at how we do almost like a like a movie camera 
project things out into reality. So then it, to me, it calls into question, what might I be projecting out into my relationships or onto people that maybe isn't really there? And that's, that's one of the, the really cool things. But I also often see colors, I'm very visual, and it's it's interesting. It's interesting. I also so like sometimes I do see shadows, like things like moving by. It looks like they're moving past me at times. So I don't know if that's like the shadow parts of me or just like again I'm just projecting these things and then this is just what I happen to be seeing. It, it can be different things. It, it absolutely can be different things. I yesterday had this vision. It was more of a dream than something I was seeing mm -hmm. out in the space. But there was there was a color in the dream. And when I really looked at it, I could see how that particular color has an association for me. And it, it had a particular meaning when I really looked at it. And so sometimes Carl Jung often talked about what, what he called the active imagination, mm -hmm. which is a way for people to start to explore the other than conscious part of their mind. And so when somebody sees a shadow or they see a color, mm -hmm. they can start to examine what might that shadow or what might that color mean because it can sometimes mean something and, mm -hmm. and it can be a chance for them to look at it and mm -hmm. then maybe hash it out with, with somebody. Sometimes people come out here and they have an experience, like a vision in there. And when, when maybe we talk about it and we break it down, they see that it's something actually very practical. There was a guy, there's a, there's a gentleman who comes here pretty much every week and he does different types of inner work including mm -hmm. dream analysis with a Jungian analyst in the area and he and I were talking about how when people have visions they're wonderful, when they have dreams they're wonderful. Sometimes people just get caught up in the vision and like I had this great vision mm -hmm. but what he and I were both talking about is when we actually look at the vision or we look at the dream or the things that we're seeing in there and we maybe turn it over to look for some meaning in it and then we ground that in something practical if we look at how might this be relating to my life right then there's some deep meaning that can come from it so but Very interesting. Speaking of which, mm -hmm. one of the projects you're working on relates to someone who was very much a visionary. Absolutely. And I want you to talk about it. Talk about this project sure. that you're working on. Um, it's actually it's a book about Michael Jackson, and um, I worked with a gentleman named Andrew Wilson on it, mm -hmm. and he had worked with Michael in the '90s. Um, he is a a world class um, black belt champion. He's in the like world. Black Belt Hall of Fame with like uh, Bruce Lee and people like that. Um, and he worked with Michael in the 90s and it's a kind of a historical account. It's called the Broken Heart Stone. Um, it's actually Michael's imprints that he put of his hands in, um, in stone um, in Las Vegas, not California, like uh, where the, uh, the Man's Chinese Theater is. And they actually sat in a basement for 25 years and nobody knew that he'd even made them. He never made them um, where all the, you know, the Hollywood stars, they usually go to the Man's Chinese Theater and put their imprints in. And it's kind of a historical account of how Andrew came to, um, how these prints came into his possession. Uh, they were in the basement of a, uh, a Vegas uh, hotel, casino. And in 2009, when Michael passed away, um, he was called. He ended up selling, like, I think his Austin Martin to get the prints because they were on their way to the Middle East. Somebody in the Middle East had wanted to buy them. So it's kind of a historical account with pictures and the story uh, of how it got from the basement of 
the Las Vegas Casino to uh, the forecourt of the Man's Chinese Theater in Hollywood. And it's very fascinating, and, and a lot of and the handprint, Michael's actual handprint, is on the cover of the book. So fans get really emotional when they put their hand in Michael's hand. It's something an emotional connection, just like when people you know go to see some of the other stars and you put your hand in the in the imprints. But you know, you know, Michael was a an icon, and so many people around the world loved him. Millions and millions of people. And so there's like an emotional connection when they, they're able to put their hand in his hand. Their hand in his hand, yeah. So, How did you get involved in that project? Um, it's a kind of funny. Uh, the doctor that I work with, Dr. Flavin, her niece, Gina happened to run into this gentleman um, a couple of years ago, like in a Target. And she started, they started talking, and I think it was like during like a, one of those weird Venus eclipses. Something was happening. I think it was like May 2012. Anyway, um, she, he mentioned, they started talking, he mentioned he was looking for a singer for a documentary on Michael Jackson. The documentary didn't happen, but the book, which he was always working on, uh, did manifest. So I ended up uh, writing a song called Michael's Broken Heart Stone, uh, which is now being sold with uh, the book. The book just came out in February 2014. When it's sold with the book, is it's on a, it's in a CD with the book. It or? is. Um, the hardcover is actually the we first launched in uh, on February fourteenth, two thousand fourteen. Uh, the on the electronic, <clears throat> the electronic version of the book. Uh, the hard copy is going to be coming out in a couple of weeks, and then the actual CD be with will be with that. But right now, it's available on Nook and Kindle and uh, iTunes. So you can go to www.brokenheartstone.com and there are links for all three of those to buy it electronically. It's for $7.77. And on iTunes, you'll get a copy of my song with it. Uh, and there's also the hard copy version which you can pre-order and my song will be with that. When a person purchases the electronic book, is there a way for them to then get the electronic version of the, or the digital version of the song? Is that um, I put instructions on how to do that, but on iTunes, when you buy the book on iTunes, you're, you automatically get the song. If you buy it on Nook or Kindle, um, we put a, a provision on there, and I will send them the song, the MP3 of the song, if, when they buy the book. So, Because um, unfortunately, Nook and Kindle can't hold the electronic version of the song, but um, we were going to send it uh, separately. I heard the song because you sent it to me, and it's it's really good. Oh, thank you. And I sent it to a friend of mine. I know we were talking a few weeks ago when you mentioned the book because when I used to live in Los Angeles, I had a friend who I mentioned, uh, Chuck Wild, who used to work with uh, Michael Jackson back back in the day. I remember, and he's he's a really great guy. And mm-hmm. I remember he used to talk about his experiences working with him and how much he enjoyed it. And I had forwarded it to him and he really liked it. I so appreciate that. And that was like six, it's six degrees of separation. It was amazing. I appreciated the feedback, um, from him on that. And, uh, yeah, I sort of a tribute. I mean, growing up as a kid, I always had a Michael Jackson poster. I think I told you, I always loved Michael. I wasn't like a, you know, overzealous fan, but I always was a fan of his music and, you know, his brothers and the Jackson, you know, all that stuff. Um, but like, Thriller really made an impact in my life, you know, that album. And it really changed so much in music and changed, you know, it just kind of changed the whole landscape of music and how people related to each other. Um, Because, you know, he was such a force for good uh, in terms of bringing people together and um, helping people and, you know, spreading love. So, How did Thriller affect you? How do you see it having affected you? That was like probably the first album that was just like, like every track. I loved every song on it. It's just like, you know, all the kids were doing the dances and, you know, you just kind of, and 
the visual uh, that Michael brought, the music, the, the music video, he really brought that to another art form. He really changed the whole landscape of what a music video was. And the whole, that whole long form of the Thriller album, uh, the long form video, I remember watching it because I believe John Landis had directed it and they put the video out and they showed all the behind the scenes and, and they showed like the 15, 20 minute video. And it was just groundbreaking and never, we never seen anything like it. So it just really, it was like made, made me want to like, be, you know, I've always been, I've been singing since I was little, but like Michael definitely inspired me to want to be more of an artist. I, rem I think I've probably seen the Thriller video like a hundred times or something. <laughs> I remember when it yeah. first came out and we used to always watch MTV. That yes. was the thing to do. Yep. And that was an amazing video. It really yeah. was. It was, it was phenomenal. Yeah. And the, the creativity that went into it. I remember having the experience of almost being transported into that space with him. I can't explain it, but it's like he, that video thriller really brought people into the experience in a way that some other videos had done at the time, but it was, it was definitely taking something to the next level, which it seems like he, he it was a mini did. movie I and mean, it was well, very well done and really, really well executed. So yeah. Amazing. What I have read about him or people who had worked with him would say is just how meticulous he was. Yeah. And also very, but also very quiet at the same time, like very humble. Yes. Yeah. But perfectionist, but yes, but also um, I think treated people around him well and, you know, people loved him and wanted to work with him. I had the privilege of uh, meeting his um, keyboard player um, from like the 70s when the Jackson 5 were on tour, uh, Joel Scott, and he's now the musical director. He was the musical director of a Broadway show um, that was on Broadway and I happened to meet him that way, but he was just always raving about Michael and what a wonderful person he was and working for him. So. Talk about your experience a little bit with being a performer yourself. What, what has that been like? Wow, that's been a journey. I think, I mean, singing has always been part of my life since I was little. My parents said I started singing was maybe like two or three. And um, I uh, have always just loved music and singing and acting and... Um, it's been a journey. I think I've, I've, I've done plenty of plays and talent shows and showcases and um, had the privilege of doing some film and television work. And so I'm still building as an actor and still building as a musician, but um, I have enough experience. I've put in my dues. Um, so I'm just kind of working on that breakthrough, but just kind of enjoying the journey along the way. I was involved in theater a little bit in music oh, wow. when I was younger. It was a big hobby, I guess, of mine, mostly in high school, mm -hmm. a little bit in college. And it always impressed me when I saw people focusing on theater and music because it's not an easy road. It isn't. I think it's a calling. I think, you know, it's just, you have to really love it. And, you know, I really there's very few people that have the overnight success. It's kind of like you have to just be in it for the long haul and just, you know, go with the experience. But no, it, it's definitely not easy. <laughs> but yeah, but if you love it and it's a passion, it's like you just can't really leave it alone either. What kind of wor other work are you doing right now in terms of in that field? Um, well, I'm continuing to go into the studio. I sing with the Motown band currently. 
Um, I'm auditioning in New York whenever I can uh, for musical theater stuff, um, film and television stuff, um, just continuing to explore. And I also have a, um, a one-woman show that I'm doing uh, about Phyllis Wheatley. Usually I do that around Black History Month. Um, she was the black poetess of Boston. I don't know if you ever heard of Phyllis in Boston, but she was like the first African-American to have a book published um, which actually was published in England in uh, around 1776. So she was kind of like the uh, the African, the first African American to have that happen, and kind of opened the door for all of African American literature in the Americas. So it's it's kind of like a an educational, like 45 minute one woman show that I do. I'm getting ready to do a showcase for that for young audiences of Connecticut, which goes into the schools. Uh, I'll be doing that next week. So. Just keeping a lot of different balls in the air, but really hoping um, the song uh, Michael's Broken Heart Stone, which is really a tribute to him um, and, you know, the love he had for people and the love we had for him. Hopefully that will start getting some airplay and um, people will start to um, hear, hear about it. That's a beautiful song. Thank you. Going back to your own life, and you mentioned before how sometimes you see shadows in, mm -hmm. in the float tank which can sometimes be an indication of like shadows within oneself. Mm -hmm. and, and the way I look at that concept of, of a shadow as, as an abstraction in, in discussing oneself, oftentimes that can be a part of ourself that we're not paying attention to. It can also be a part of ourself that we're, we're, we're not expressing. Mm -hmm. And I look at myself all the time in terms of where is it that I'm getting in my way or where, mm -hmm. what is it that's in me that's trying to express through. And since you brought it up, I'm just curious whether it's through the floating or whatever, but given where you are now, like just as a reflection, what do you think that is in you that's still you're working on letting out more or in terms of taking the next step forward? I think just like fears in general. Um and like being an actor and a singer and maybe start scared to take some risks that I could have taken that I haven't taken yet. That's kind of maybe I've impeded my own progress by procrastination and fear and, and different things. And I, I really think that's, that's what it is. Because I mean, I've, I've been privileged to do a lot of professional work, but I feel like I could be in a different level if, if I kind of like, okay, Denise, let's work with some of these um, these parts of yourself that you may be neglecting and work with these fears that you have of failure or fears of, you know, just, I don't know, just fears in general of not being good enough or all these things, you know, that kind of like plague you as an artist um, sometimes. So that's kind of what I think it is. And you know, it's so funny, um, on, I, I dreamed the other night, like, I don't know what this means in shamanic dream work, but you were in my dream and it's like, you're helping me kill these bats. And I think I looked up bats, and bats mean demons or something like that in dream world. Well, I looked up the dream dictionary online now. You know, I don't know what that means, but I was just like, oh, David's going to help me kill these bats. Okay, so maybe that's what <laughs> I'm like. I'm working out these, you know, fears in myself. So I meant to tell you that, but I, I, it was one of those dreams because I don't always remember all my dreams, but that one I remembered. I was like, huh. What do bats mean to you, just in terms of your own per if, if If someone were to say... What do you think about bats or do you like bats or not like bats? Like what do they mean to you as an individual? Well, I don't like them. And then at night when you hear them, you know, floating around, sometimes you hear them out there. It's just like, ew, disgusting, gross. You know, that's like the first. But bats are actually really, you know, cool. I know they are, but it's just like I, I just don't think I want to be stuck in a cave with one or, 
in a room with one. So um, I just, I think they are just some, some they kind of represent some dark places that need to be looked at. What do you associate with me? Well, I think as, a, as, as the iFloat facilitator and the intuitive person that you are, I think you really do a, a phenomenal job with the people I see come through here as a volunteer and how you talk to them and, and really bring them out and get them to look at um, the different aspects of themselves. So I think you are great at getting people to, um, I think you're great at helping people. And I think that's why I see you as, as a, a helper and a guide. If you look at a dream in terms of the me and the dream being a part of you and you look at the bats being an aspect of yourself, it, it could be that that the, that there's there's some part of you that, that's coming forth. And, and what comes to my mind in terms of bats is they have this amazing ability to find locations. Mm. I remember when I... I think I was studying animal behavior or something. I mm. was reading about how bats have this amazing ability when there's a cave of, of hundreds and hundreds of bats and the mother goes off and, and goes to get food. She can find exactly where where the, the her nest is among, among oh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bats, like really mm -hmm. easily because they have eco-location. Yeah. And so I wonder... Just interestingly, just as a question, if there's some part of you that is coming forth that, that knows exactly what it is you have to do and you're wrestling mm -hmm. with that, maybe? That might be, yeah. I thought that's, that's a very good insight. <laughs> what, do you suppose, what do you suppose it is that you, you, you think you know? I just, just to live up to my full potential, I think. And, you know, and stop doing what everybody thinks I should be doing and really feel and really do what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing as an artist and not doing all these other things, but just really giving myself to being uh, an artist full time as opposed to juggling all these other different aspects, which I enjoy, but I feel like it might be uh, taking energy away from what I really want to do. And I'm just, I've distracted myself with it or I just haven't had the confidence to go full force uh, being a full time artist. But... And, and maybe I bought into the lie, oh, it's so hard to be an artist, you know, and just bought into that, um, that everybody puts that out there. It's so hard to be an actor. It's so hard to be a singer. And it's just like, well, it's that self-fulfilling prophecy, you, you bought into that, you know, so. A dream could be pointing at that intuitive part of you represented mm -hmm. by me and the bats where there's some part of you that knows exactly where the nest is. <laughs> there's, there's a part of you that's like, yeah. I know exactly where the nest is or what I have to do. Mm -hmm. You mentioned before about the fear of failure, but just as just as a, a, a thought experiment, what's the worst thing that could happen if you were to put yourself out there and you failed? Mm, that's a good question. I think it's the again, it's the fear. But it's like if it, if you actually fail, it's just like, oh well. I, I guess I'm I'm too worried about what other people think or whatever. I have to get over that fear of what other people think. I think that's at the bottom line. And and what's even underneath that. Just looking at it from the level of, of, of what I could call metaprogramming, looking at the levels of the mind, the levels of programming. Mm -hmm. When we have a fear of what other people think about us as a way of holding ourselves back, it is a form of blaming other people for why we're not doing what we're to do. Mm. That's deep. 
<laughs> that's a whole other level of oh, introspection there. The, yeah. It's kind of, again, if you look at the bat metaphor of a cave filled with hundreds of bats, the mother bat doesn't care about what the other bats are doing. She uses echolocation to zero in on the nest. It doesn't matter what the other bats are doing. That bat's going to get home to the nest and do what mm. she has to do. Blame is a huge problem for a lot of people because mm. we will often evade something and blame other people for not doing what we have to do. And that's why, or it's one of the reasons why floating is so powerful because yeah. when we're floating, there can be no blame because everything we're experiencing in there is is just us. And that's, I think, why sometimes it can be challenging for people and where it has been challenging for me, especially when I first started floating because everything would just come to the surface and that those places where I wasn't paying attention to would come forth and I would either have to resolve them or, or, or not float in a way because when we, when we really slow down, everything, everything comes forth. Even for meditation, that can happen. Every time we slow down, mm -hmm. th those things can come forth. But that's just something to think about because I often will ask people that question, even ask myself, what's the worst thing that could happen if we put ourselves out there? It's often or often not as big as we might think it is. Mm -hmm. We sometimes can create these large constructs in our mind that don't actually have any basis in reality. And that's one of the beauties of communicating with another person because in mm -hmm. our own mind, we can have this consistent pattern of thinking that might not be working as well as we think. And when we just kind of toss it out there to another person, we, we can see sometimes like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. And then that is what John Lilly talked about in terms of like checking to see if our internal reality is matching external reality. And going back to Michael Jackson, mm -hmm. and I didn't know him, but it seemed like he had some struggles with that as well, where he was incredibly successful. And yeah. most of what goes on in our minds works really well, but it's those parts that don't work as well that can sometimes get in our way. And we are all challenged to, to do that work and always be slowing down and looking at ourselves so that we are as in tune with external reality as possible mm -hmm. and, and in harmony with that place. So it's, it's great that you are coming here and slowing down and using this tool and other tools to enhance yourself as an artist and as a person because the two are interconnected i don't know how you see it but in terms yeah, of like no, expressing yourself as an artist and expressing yourself as a person they seem pretty pretty interconnected um, the one thing i wanted to ask you as well was when you're singing when you're performing mm -hmm. what is that like for you when you're when you're doing it when you're in the process of performing what is your experience what are... um it, a lot of times it's effortless it just you know i just do it and it just it feels joyous like that's the bet like you know all the work leading up to it or whatever when you're just like in the moment it's just like it's the best that's all I, I i just i love it like i wish i could sustain that throughout my whole life but it's like when i'm in it and i'm performing it's like oh this is what i'm supposed to you know this is one of the i feel like the calling of my life is part of what i'm supposed to do and it doesn't it's a gift it's, it's definitely a gifting because i don't i feel like your people 
your greatest gift is, I think, the thing you don't have to work at. I mean, you always have to work at something, but I think God's gift to you is like the thing that you have to work at the least. It just comes. It you don't have to, you don't have to put a lot of effort into it. It just like it comes out naturally. And then, of course, you know, as an artist, you want to enhance your gift or expand your gift and all that stuff like that, and and work at it somewhat. But it just the actual doing of it is effortless in a lot of ways. That's what I can sense when I when I. Get a sense of you talking about performing. I can sense this deep sense of fulfillment, and yeah. almost like you're plugged into something really deep within yourself when you're performing. Yeah. And it's just a matter of you getting to the place where you're removing those things that are getting in your way of of doing that even more and letting that flow through you even more. Because yeah, I, even when I hear you talk about performing and, and all these projects, and I can hear it in your voice when I listen to that song, there is this, this deep connection you have with being Thank a you. performer. Thank you. And also, well, like going back to Michael Jackson, like in, in terms of manifesting things, he said he wanted Thriller to most, be the most successful album of all time. He like put, put it on his mirror and he wrote it everywhere. So, I mean, he really, put that out there and believed it and made and, and made that happen. And, and it's still any... to this day, 30 years later, it's still the most successful album of all time. So And he that's it, very powerful because, again, that's a very yeah. pointed thing that he did. He set the intention and, and he, yeah. in many ways, was ruthless in like making that happen because yeah. it is an amazing video even to this day. And it's a, it's a great example of somebody who didn't let anything get in his way yeah. of expressing that and expressing that in a way that, mm -hmm. that had a huge impact on so many people yep. throughout the world and really had a, changed a lot of things in terms of the, the artistic realm and video and music and so forth. Cool. Very cool. Imagine if he was a floater, he would be. He would have been even like, oh my god. He would well, I would help. I mean, he he probably could, you know, build his own facility in his house. Imagine, you know, unfortunately, you know, we've heard things about Michael with problems with drugs and the things after he had gotten burnt in the fire, his hair, and a lot of, um, you know, prescription medicines. You know, I don't know how much all of it is true or whatever, but it seems like it might have, and maybe floating would have helped him, not go to that, you know, that route in order to relieve pain and. So and uh, you know, keep his mind together. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for being on the thank podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for being a volunteer at iFloat and being part of the iFloat. It's community. been a blessing and a learning experience, and very grateful. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the iFloat Radio podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and please tune in to the next iFloat Radio podcast. Have a wonderful day. And